this is Rob Coburn, and we are excited that you're joining with us today. If you're a part of the Summit Dover family, whether in person or online, we'd love to connect with you via social media at the Summit Dover on all social media outlets and on our website, thesummitdover.com. We can get you plugged into our app or our YouTube channel, as well as giving options and opportunities to connect with the Summit Dover family all around the world. I hope this word today encourages you and inspires you. Let's jump into the message. Well, this morning, we are honored to have someone who's speaking to us, not just from a position of Foursquare, but a position of a kingdom authority on the earth and with a voice that is for now. And uh, I want to read this scripture for you in Matthew ten forty. It says, he who receives you receives me. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of the prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. We have the opportunity and the Lord gives us these opportunities many times throughout our lives where we can receive something from another person or another uh, kingdom figure and when they present truth if we receive them then that truth actually changes our perspective and I believe so often we have the opportunity to receive truth but often our hearts aren't open to receive truth and I we've been praying as a team we're praying over this day that the spirit of the house would be fertile soil that this word will penetrate and produce fruit in our lives before we ever leave this place and that the world will see that fruit tomorrow morning or this afternoon or whenever that happens so I have the opportunity as the shepherd and I have the responsibility as a shepherd to open up the gate to this house and so that's what I'm doing this morning so would you just hold your hands out in front of you father today We open our hearts to receive your word. And as the shepherd of this house, I open the gates to this house. That Pastor JJ's word that you've burnt in her would change us. That this deposit of anointing would shift atmospheres, would change generations. It would accelerate all that you want to do in each of us. So we open ourselves to you, Lord, today in Jesus' name. Amen. We have the honor of hosting Pastor JJ Versalono. She is our next-gen regional pastor. Um, so she can explain what that means if she wants to. But um, all the names have changed, uh, and but that's okay. But... I didn't invite her here because she's part of Foursquare. I didn't invite her here because she's a next-gen leader. And yes, we need next-gen leaders to come and speak into this house. I invited her because when we were at camp, the Lord highlighted you and said, you have a word that will take this house to the next season. And so uh, we will, would you stand and welcome Pastor JJ? Thank you. Ah. Uh, 
Wow, 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 what a time of worship. Holy cow, I'm sitting here going, oh, okay. And to speak after that, let's just soak a little longer, you know. Um, I am so honored and privileged to be here with each of you today. Um, I never take it lightly to minister the word of the Lord, nor do I ever take it lightly to be invited into someone's someone's home into into the house of God that you all oversee. So it is an honor and a privilege for me to be here. Um, my husband Tim and I, we pastor in Laconia, New Hampshire. We've been there about five years. Prior to that, I was born and raised and lived most of my life in Southern California. Um, spent many years. I mean, I was three years in North Carolina and three years in Illinois. Other than that, everything's always been in in Southern California, from Santa Maria, California, uh, down through Los Angeles. So that's about a three-hour window right there, (laughs) if you're not familiar. Um, I have grown up as a pastor's kid, and my father then, when I was nine years old, became the president of Life Bible College. He moved it from Echo Park to San Dimas. So then I was a president's kid for the formative years of my life, which enabled me to grow up spending my summers at camps, which radically impacted and transformed my life. I would leave about a week after school got out and come back a week before school started, and we'd hit every camp in America as dad was speaking on behalf of the Bible College. And so that was how I grew up from nine to 18. So it was an awesome, awesome thing. And then at 18, I moved to North Carolina where I met my husband, Tim, and we got married and followed the Lord's leading the rest of the time. We have three amazing kids. Um, Shaylin, who is 25. Um, If any of you were at kids camp this year, my daughter Shay was the speaker at kids camp, so she's, she's awesome, and her and her husband Sean live in Concord, North Carolina, and she is on staff at Thrive Worship Center with Pastor Scott Jenkins. My daughter Casey, some of you might know, she's been um, a piece around camps for a long time as she used to work for LPUVA. Uh, she's now moved home for a season up to New Hampshire. She's just hearing what the Lord would speak to her for this next season. And then my son Jackson is, well, I don't even know what to say what grade he's in. He, he started last year as a freshman at Liberty, and he's going in as a senior. So that gives you a little idea of his, um, he's, a, he's an achiever. He's, he's a driven young man. He's also a hockey player. Um, he's played elite hockey for, for a number of years. That's, in fact, what brought us to the East Coast. So he is um, on their D1 team there at Liberty University, and he is getting married this coming May. So I just had fun. I know, yay! I just got to go wedding dress shopping with his um, future bride and her family this last week, so that was a lot of, a lot of fun. But I want, that's just a little bit about me. The next-gen thing is a great thing. It's fun. I get to talk to people about the next generation. But we're just going to talk about Jesus. We're going to jump right into it. I feel like this is a house that knows and values the next generation, so we don't need to dive down that route. I was telling Pastor Rob this morning, it was very interesting, because the Lord, I'd been preparing a word to give you guys and we had the one day event yesterday in Medina. And so I left after a dinner and I got here, you know, between nine and 10 last night. And when I got here to begin to look over everything, the Lord said, no, we're gonna do a little bit of a shift. And it was funny because then the Lord confirmed it through my husband. He goes, babe, he goes, I think you need to talk about this. I'm like, I know, I know. That means I gotta rewrite the whole thing. But um, luckily when the Lord does the change on you, he also makes the, 
dispensation, man, it's just like, whoop, and he just gives it to you pretty darn quick. And so, um, so I love, this is a definitely a house of worship. Caitlin, boy, girl, there's anointing on your life, sweetheart. And there's a confidence that you need to step into with that, into a next level. Because there is an anointing on your life. You're not in the position you are because of who you are. You're in the position that you're in because of whose you are. So there is something um, of the song of the Lord that needs to be released through you. And uh, so, so that bold cap that you live every piece of your life with, it's time to step into that in this mantle of the psalmist of this house. Because there's something tremendous over your life with that. And the whole team, man, what a sensitivity to the spirit of God. Boy, 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 it's been a long time. Unfortunately, it's been a long time since I've been able to be in a worship service that was so sensitive to the Spirit of God, so thank you for that. Thank you for your commitment to that. Um, how I feel like the Lord wants to go, he wants to talk about worship today. I asked Pastor Rob, I said, has the Lord been doing a work in worship with you? He goes, yeah, for about the last three years. I said, okay, great, we're on the same track. Because there is something of a transaction the Lord began to speak to my heart about not just the worship, as you guys look at it and say, we're gonna continue to take our worship into the city, into our community. This is about what happens when our worship touches heaven. And this is a house whose worship touches heaven. And there is something significant that takes place. And there is something transformational that takes place when that happens. And I'm actually going to talk to you a little bit through the story of my life um, and, and my life in worship. Um, the word of God says in Revelation, we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And I'm going to share my story and worship in my life and then how I believe and sense that the Lord is gonna, going to utilize that story to release your story to be transformative not only in your city, in this region, in this nation, but you're going to, as you are doing, you know, first Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, and the rest of the world, you guys have been in a Jerusalem season and he's about to launch you into a Judea season. And you're going to begin to see things begin to open and unlock and unfold before you in places you haven't anticipated stepping into before. Okay, there's been desires, but there's a different place um, beyond the desire that the Lord wants to bring you into. So I'm just going to share a little bit about my story, but I want to set the stage a little bit about, about worship. Um, so I'm going to talk about my journey with Jesus in worship through every decade of my life. I'm 49 years old. I was born in 1972. I'll be, that means I'll be 50 this year. I know I don't look a day past 29, but you know, I, I, people wonder how could I be married 29 years when I'm only 29? I don't know, it just works out, interesting. No, I'm 49, I'll be 50 in December. And um, I'm gonna talk, I don't know how this works out, but it's, it's six, it's not six decades, but for some reason it comes out to six, because I'm gonna do something for the last two years of the 2020 to 2020, uh, 2022. But anyways, um, if you've been a believer for any length of time, there is an awareness and there needs to be a central focus to us of realizing that Jesus is coming soon. 
It is not one day Jesus is coming. It is imminent. It is at any, I am expectant of his return at any moment. And like many of you, I was a kid who grew up and and in the generation that I grew up in, and we'll talk a little bit more about that, that was talked about a lot more than it has in about the last two to three decades. We haven't heard much of the return of Christ. We've heard a lot of things about ways to live like a good person, um, ways to live with uh, an abundance of grace that is maybe not the um, way God intended us to view grace. We've, we've heard a lot of things that let us go on living the way we've lived as believers in Jesus, but not having a life change that prepares the world for his return. And there is a beckoning of the spirit to say, hey, I'm coming. People get ready, you know. I am coming again, and I'm coming for a bride without spot or wrinkle, without blemish. And I believe he is doing a work of holiness in his body right now, and there's going to be an expedited um, work of the spirit. As we're seeing many fall away, those who are remaining, he is expediting into a place of holiness and a place of readiness to be the voice to the world of his return. It's all, we are seeing the book of Revelation living out right before us. Jesus is coming. I'm confident that his return is imminent. My life must be lived out with the same urgency to share who Jesus is with all the world. And it's a world that is so in, in such desperate need of him. I am one who is in desperate need of him. Worship brings us to a place of oneness with God. The Greek word for worship is proskuneo. Proskuneo. And pros means to fall or bow down. Kuneo means to kiss. And when we think of our worship, we need to begin to realize the intimacy of the act with which we are entering into. It is not about a moment to get the goosebumps to get the shakes, to do all that. It is about a moment that suddenly everything is stripped away and I am in the presence of the king. And in that moment, I can fall before him and he grabs me and he lifts my face and I kiss him. And I am embraced by him and I am in that intimate moment with him where there is a, a, a change And I am never the same because of the moment I just spent in an encounter with Jesus. So if I ever come to a place of worship where I'm not realizing the incredible opportunity that I have in that moment that I am going to miss an encounter with Jesus. You know, praise in and of itself is a whole different thing. Praise is the gateway. It's what opens the door. It says we will enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. So the gates to the the court of the tabernacle comes with our thanks to the Lord. Coming in saying, God, I thank you for who you are, for all you are, for what you've done. And then I begin to transition into praise and talking about how worthy and glorious and magnificent and marvelous and wonderful and worthy he alone is. And as I usher into that place of praise, I then begin to fall on my face because I can't even stand in his presence. And I begin to worship him. 
and I begin to honor him. John 4.23 and 24 says this. You guys are probably all incredibly familiar with it, but it says this, and I'm reading out of the CSB, but an hour is coming and now is here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such a people to worship him, for God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. I think that there is a part of us that is, we worship in spirit. But the idea of worshiping in truth is like, because when we are faced with the reality of the truth of who God is, and we are faced with the reality that he is truth, then my truth, (laughs) which never existed anyways, it begins to crumble. And the sandcastles of life that I have built begin to get washed over by the waves of the Spirit. And so the very kingdoms that I have built and established in my life, when I begin to worship not just in spirit, but in truth, in the truth of who he is, and all he is, and why he is, and who he's called me to be, begins to wash away my sandcastles, and I either find out if I've been built on the rock, or if I've built my house right next door to the sandcastles of the kingdoms I've built in my life. See, when we begin to worship him in spirit and in truth, everything changes. Everything changes. I'm going to talk to you this morning as I share. I'm probably going to do a little singing, and I'd love it if you join in with me, if you know this different, different songs. But the first song I want to talk about this morning was written by a gentleman named Pete Sanchez in 1976. I was four years old at that time, which was the age that I, as a child, I remember being in my bed at home and I asked my mom, I said, Mom, I want to invite Jesus in my heart. I had this cute little pink and white checker bed with the little canopy, you know, and I can remember I was in light blue silk jammies, my long blonde hair hanging down, and I just remember calling her in before I went to sleep, and I said, I want to ask Jesus in my heart. My dad was at the time ministering in Australia, and so it was a moment I got to share with my mom, but I knew I wanted... Jesus to be my savior. In those days, my dad pastored a church in Santa Maria, California, and if you're not familiar with where Santa Maria is, it is on the 101 corridor, which is, was the center point of the hippie movement in the 60s and 70s. So as you drove on the 101 freeway, often in those days, you would just see hippies walking up and down the freeway, and it was crazy. But it was also the birth of the Jesus People Movement. Are any of you familiar with the Jesus People Movement? So the Jesus People Movement was a rich move of God, a revival per se, that took place amongst the hippie community. And our community as a beach community was very much impacted and was an integral part of the Jesus People Movement. Um, In fact, in some history books, you will actually find my dad's story in there associated with the Jesus People Movement on the Central Coast. Um, our church went from 50 people to over 1,000 people overnight as the Lord just began to do an extraordinary work. 
and you had it mixed, these redeemed hippies from the Jesus People movement and these very traditional church people who've been in the church for years but love Jesus with all their heart, but you see suddenly this mixture. And the beauty of that season in life, which I have found to be much different than many other decades, is there was an acceptance and a love that transacted between the generations and those people. I can remember as a young girl seeing Jimmy and Doris Forrester, the organist, and her, the husband who's the head elder. And I, in my mind, they were like 300 years old at that time, but they obviously weren't. You know, with, with, uh, uh, Bobby Sue and Jim Blinton over here with their long hair and you know like ah, you know and the love between them and that was so much of what was happening in our church at the time there was a move of worship that began to shift in the church in the 70s it's when everything shifted from more hymns and organ music to we were really progressive because we had a guy who played the guitar it was amazing. I remember him well. His name was Adolfo. And I can remember Adolfo coming up to the platform. And as a four-year-old, you've got to remember, I'm four years old at this time, but I remember this to this day. I remember Adolfo would come up, and he would be in his cranberry brownish-colored bell-bottoms and his neutral white linen shirt with his wallaby shoes and his feathered long brown hair. And he would get that guitar... And he would just begin to sing, For thou, O Lord, art high above all the earth. Thou art exalted far above. It's too low for me, all gods. <laughs> oh, for thou, O Lord, art high above all the earth. Thou art exalted far above all gods. Sing it with me. I exalt thee. I exalt thee. I exalt thee. O Lord, I exalt thee, I exalt thee, I exalt thee, oh Lord. And I can remember being a little girl and being touched by Jesus. remember knowing I want to know him. I want every part of my life to be touched by him at four years old. They are never too young, my friends. They are never too young. They are far, far more sensitive, honestly, in many ways to the things of the Spirit than many of us are. Listen to the children. Psalm 97.9 says, For you, O Lord, are the most high over the whole earth. You are exalted above all gods. And I love, I love when we begin to sing God's word because that is truth. That is worshiping in spirit and in truth. We are born to worship. 
We are not too young to understand that God is drawing us into his presence. Our spirit comes back to life when we recognize God's presence and step into it. See, we need to understand that more often than not, our prayer isn't that, oh Jesus, would you meet us here? It's saying, oh, can I meet you there? Because his word tells us where two or three gather, he is there. There is no beckoning, oh, oh, we gotta beg you God to get here. What it is is a shift of where I'm at. I need to adjust my mind, I need to let go of my burdens, I need to cast off my cares, and I need to recognize that I'm in the presence of the Most High God. He is there and he is waiting, always waiting on us, saying, hey, I am here. And our praise and our worship begins to release the movement of the Spirit in our life. We need to recognize his presence and then take that step into it. Worship was not an option when I was growing up and it was not an option for our children. Parents, God is looking for those who will worship him. It's not says he's looking for adults or teenagers who will worship him. He is looking for those, any of those. Um, As we stepped into the 1980s, this was a decade that I think we saw like worship teams birthed. Um, Our platforms began to have multiple instruments and singers and every church had at least one overhead projector. And every middle schooler in the church wanted to be the overhead projector worker. You were very cool if you could do that. In this decade, I personally went through a lot of transition. It was in this decade, 1981. My father left pastoring the church in Santa Maria and became the president of Life Bible College, now known as LPU. and we moved to Los Angeles from Santa Maria. And I transitioned from being a pastor's kids to becoming a president's kid and traveling to lots of different churches. The thing that was different, I have two older brothers and they're five and six years older than me. So while I was still you know, in fourth grade at the time, fourth going into fifth grade, my brothers were in high school. So a lot of times when dad traveled to speak, I was the one who went with them. So my brothers had the opportunity to get uh, plugged in to a church, a local church, things like that. I would on occasion get to go to our local churches, but, but more times than not, I was out traveling with mom and dad. But when, when we did go, our home church was a little church called Crescenta Valley Foursquare Church. And while it was little, it was rich with... Um, we were very blessed. Uh, our pianist was a gentleman named Mar- Michael O'Mardian. I don't know if many of you have heard who Mike, Stormy O'Mardian, the power of praying wife. Uh, Michael and Stormy were part of our church. Chester Thompson, um, Abe Laboreal was our bassist, which is if you've ever watched Abe play the bass, man, what a treat. A lot of these guys were big musicians in the 70s and 80s, both secular and Christian music. And we were in this little church of maybe 100 or less. But that is who, that was, those were the, the people that the Lord blessed us with at that time to be leading us into worship. And there was a kid's pastor at that church whose name was, was Kathy Rust. And Kathy decided to take me under her wing. And so even though I maybe wasn't there every Sunday, Kathy would spend time with me throughout the week. And Kathy introduced me as a kid to, to kids' worship music. I met Salty for the first time through Kathy. And Salty became very influential in my life. Salty was a little, like, blue book that sang worship songs, you know. Um, it was awesome. 
and it began to to pour the water and the fertilizer on the seeds of worship that had already been put into my life. And then I entered junior high and started going to camp and I experienced God and worship in an entirely new way. It was during that season that I began to hear God's voice so clearly. I can remember being 14 and hearing God speak so loud, I thought everybody else in the room, I was wondering why they weren't looking. Like, couldn't you hear that? You know, and I remember standing at the back, in the back of the room, none of you can picture this, but it's a camp called Camp Cedar Crest. It's a four-square-owned camp in San Bernardino, California. And I remember standing back, there was an organ in the back, but the platform was up front, and I was standing back by that. And it's when God called me and said, your life, I'm separating you for something unique and something special. And I was like, did everybody hear that? I was sure everybody heard it. And he just continued to, have, to talk with me. There are so many songs from the 80s. I mean, I think all of us can be sitting in here and there's different ones pouring through our heads like as the deer, I worship you almighty God. When I look into your holiness, just to name a few that we could talk about, but there's a lesser known song that still drives my life today and it's the balance it drives the balance and humility of my life and call. It was written by a gentleman named Lenny LeBlanc in 1989. It's called No Higher Calling. And it goes like this. Down at your feet, O oh Lord, is the most high place. In your presence, Lord, I seek your face. I seek your face. There is no higher calling, no greater honor than to bow and kneel before your throne. I'm amazed at your glory embraced by your mercy, O oh Lord, I live to worship you. That song is the prayer of my life. That song is a song that I sing regularly before the Lord because it puts me right back in that place of saying, wait a minute, every opportunity to worship Jesus is the greatest honor of my life. No matter what achievements, no matter what um, successes there may be, there is nothing that beats that moment between me and Jesus. That is the highest calling. To bow and to worship him and it also keeps me in check when I come into his presence and I'm distracted. It says, whoa, wait a minute, girl. There is nothing more valuable or important than this very moment that you are in in the presence of God. So quit being a Martha and get your Mary shoes on right now. I miss it a lot of the times. As a pastor's wife, as a mom, as a human, I miss so many moments. 
to honor Jesus with my life. But I also am quick to repent for those moments and I can meet him anywhere I'm at at any time. And I can have that moment and I've become more and more aware of saying nothing else matters when Jesus is in the room. Not one other thing matters. Everything else can be taken care of at another time. Jesus is in the room. He is it. As we went into the next decade, the 1990s, I graduated high school in 1990 and I went to college and it was at that time that I moved across the country from my father, um, felt the Lord calling him to go and he was the pastor of a church in North Carolina called Grace Covenant Church and we left um, the Bible college and we moved to, to Grace. I was on staff at a church at this time in Southern California named Valley Community Church and I had not intended to move with them, but two weeks before the move, the Lord spoke very loudly and very clearly that I was to go with them. So I walked in, I resigned from the church, and I told my parents, I said, I don't know why, but I'm going with you to North Carolina. And the day we arrived, I met Tim. Literally the day we arrived, we went by my brother's office, and Tim was one of my brother's buddies, and Chris was his other friend, and Chris worked at the district office at that time. My brother, Jeff, was the Southeast District next-gen guy back in 1990 to whatever year he did it. Um, and so we walked in. I met Tim, and Tim walked out with his friend, Chris, and Chris told Tim, he goes, you're going to marry her. He goes, Jeff's sister, I'm not marrying her. You know, and I had heard of Tim because he had a little bit of, he was, he was the guy at Life East, you know, so he had a little bit of a reputation. Um, and so I was like, I'm never going to date that guy. Well, you know, I was engaged to him, what, like five months later, I think. We were engaged and married by November. But we met, got married there in North Carolina, built a home. We had two dogs, and then the Lord told us, go west. And we said, okay, where? He said, that's all I'm telling you. We put our brand new house on the market. We had to give one of our dogs away. And we got into a rider truck loaded with everything this young couple had been married just over a year had. And we began to drive in at every state line. We said, do we stop here, Lord? He says, no, you keep going. You keep going. We said, okay. And we kept going. And in Utah, our awesome rider truck exploded. Literally, the engine exploded. And we were in the middle of a freeway in Green River, Utah, and this freeway was very empty, so nobody drove by for hours. And so Tim's out there chipping golf balls. And we're out there, and my grandma calls me. And she goes, I just wanted to tell you guys, if you guys make it to the Pacific Ocean, and the Lord still hasn't told you where to stop, out of the blue, my renters for eight years just moved out of the house, so there's a house available for you. I said, well, I'm not moving back to Santa Maria because if we move back to Santa Maria, everybody's going to be like, I remember when you were a baby and blah, 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 blah. And I did not want to do that. But we ended up in Santa Maria, California. And we moved into Grandma's house. And we still didn't know. We still didn't have that sense from God, like, is this where you're bringing us back to? Like, what's going on, Lord? 
And my dad says, Tim, let me take you over to the church. I want to introduce you to Roger Wheeler, who is the pastor there at the Santa Maria Foursquare Church. And at this time now, the church is probably 1,500, 1,800 people. It's a prophetic apostolic church. We used to host every year the... Um, the West Coast Prophetic Conferences for, for Christian International, for Bill Hammond and Lou Engel and def, different ones of them would, would be regular people who, who would serve at our church. And Tim, my dad took Tim up to the office to meet Roger. And it was not a big deal. I mean, I've known Roger since I was a kid. I don't know if any of you remember a guy named David Wheeler. He used to head up Go Teams. Um, and he would come travel back here a lot. But he, it was his, his dad. He was also on staff at the church. But on the way to the office, Tim just passed a guy in the hallway. Nothing was exchanged. And we found out about this later. Because Tim goes in, meets Roger. We come back to the house. And Roger calls Tim a couple days later and says, Hey, I've got... I've got a position for you, like junior high pastor part-time, and you can do graphics, and Tim's all, sure, you know, that works, whatever. And we found out that the guy he passed in the hallway, a gentleman named Pete Taylor, that when we passed him and Tim left, Pete went directly to Roger's office and said, I don't know who that guy is, but God told me to tell you to give him my salary. I'll stay working at the church. God will provide for me, but you're supposed to give him my salary and bring him on staff. And so, so God, we said, well, that must be an open door. Within four months, the worship pastor who had been there for 10 years, I believe, felt the Lord calling him to go do something else. And Tim became the worship pastor. And we were there for the next 10 years of our life, serving in an amazing um, congregation as the, the worship pastors. And it was during this season that our life was completely centered on worshiping Jesus. Tim put it this way, we, and I love this, he, this is something he's always said, we do not have a lifestyle of worship. We live a life of worship. A lifestyle can put, be put on and off. We do not have a lifestyle of worship. And that was a big thing in the 90s. Everybody's talking about the lifestyle of worship. I was like, we don't have a lifestyle. We live a life of worship. Do we understand this? And it's coming to the place of understanding. If we're going to see the tabernacle of David restored, if we're going to see these things happen, see all of worship is centered around, all of heaven is centered around worship and centered around worshiping Jesus. And we're talking about something we put on and off. Mm-mm. It's about recognizing that every breath I take, I breathe in his presence and I bring, breathe out praise and worship. Without him, my very existence ceases to be because I was created to worship. Worship was central in our home, in our car, when we woke up and we went to bed. I didn't just need Jesus, but I wanted him. I wanted his presence so desperately. In 1999, at this time, we had been, well, we got married. So we been married like six years. We had two of our three kids. Our girls were little. I think Casey was maybe not even a year old. Shay was two. And there was a song that began to brew in my heart as, as my prayer, as a young mom, and, and seeing the Lord putting us in this, this place that felt way too, this, this is a big mantle, Jesus, you know. And I, I, I love my husband because many people came up to him at the beginning when he stepped into this role. And they said, you've got big shoes to fill. He goes, my shoes fit me just fine. 
And he was confident in the anointing of God on his life, yet humble as he stepped into what it was God called him to do. But yet, I was a little bit more insecure. I was a little bit more nervous, like, God, this is huge. This is massive. You know, how, how are we to be a people of worship at all times? I've got these kids, I can't do everything that I wanna do, and I just wanna know you, and I don't know how to be in that place of knowing you the way I desire to. And he says, it's the desire that gives you access. Because as you delight yourself in me, and we delight ourselves in him through worship, he gives us the desires of our heart. And there was a song in 1999 written by a gentleman named Steve Fry. There were so many I could have picked from the 90s. But this one goes like this. Lord, I want to know you more. Deep within my heart, I want to know you. Lord, I want to know you. I would give my final breath just to know your death and resurrection. Lord, I want to know you more. Lord, I want to know you more. And I would just sing that over and over again. Saying that's what it's got to come back to Jesus. That is what everything in me, that's what everything in us needs to be about. The desire to know him more. That I would literally give my last breath to know him. In that moment. To know Jesus is the deepest cry of my heart. I don't want a moment with him. I don't want a service. I don't even want revival. I want every moment, every day to be centered on him. I believe that there's gonna be a fresh Pentecost. I am convinced of this. Revival, if we're praying revival, we're praying way too small. I am believing for a fresh Pentecostal fire to fall upon the people of God. That we would see the additions to the church as they saw in those days and we would see signs and wonders and we would know his power and we would know his resurrection and we would know his goodness but people it will require everything from us. Not everything except it will require everything and. Even more than we realize now, why it may sound like our life was all joy bells and roses, it definitely was not. There were challenges along the way. There were many times, ministry hurts, ministry is hard. Being young and married, having a family, friendships are hard. And I can remember a time sitting in the hallway of our little house there at 1203 Sunset Avenue. Tim and I were just sitting on the floor in the hallway and we were just, just crying. It just felt like some of the things were insurmountable. It just felt like we lost our center. And the wonderful husband that I have, he just prayed over us to be strong for me as I was walking through some of these challenges and feeling the emotional brunt of it. 
And it, where there was a steadying to the storm. When I heard Tim as he went in the kitchen, and I was still sitting in that hallway, and went to our little kitchen, I think he was, I don't know if he was preparing a meal or something, but I began to hear him sing this little line. Jesus, you're the center of my joy. All that's good and perfect comes from you. You're the heart of my contentment, hope for all I do. Jesus, you're the center of my joy. And I knew in that moment he was making a choice. We were choosing joy. And in every season of our life, I would hear him begin to whistle or hum or just, Jesus, you're the center of my joy. And I would just, that is exactly that is exactly right and if I'm not centered in that place of his joy being my strength I have stepped out of the center and I'm going oh you are the center of my joy so right there Jesus I'm coming back I'm coming back right to where you are we worshiped in the panic and we worshiped in the peace We worshiped when things were challenged and we worshiped when we were championed. We worshiped in every moment, in every season, in every shifting of the tides. Worship was the centerpiece of our home and of our lives. We had had to, there was nothing but the power and presence of God that could satisfy. We live that way today. In every moment, there's always a reason to worship. Living in nearness to God is an understanding that we are changing from glory to glory as we set our hearts on him. The heavens declare the glory of God. The angels sing blessing and honor and glory and power forever. And we are the catalysts of the worship of heaven. Now I want to take a minute here. Because I want to share with you something that the Lord did and I have actually never shared this publicly. I've shared it privately with people, and it was public at the time when it was happening in our church in Santa Maria. We talked about it regularly, but I personally have never shared this part of my story with Jesus in this capacity. But the Lord said, today I want you to share this because there's a people here that needs to know this, and there's a people here who I'm depositing this into. In 2002, at our church, there was a, a series of events that cultivated a dynamic, supernatural spirit of faith. And what these events were would have actually seemed to to do the polar opposite. We had three unexpected deaths. Boom, boom, boom. One was a 12-year-old boy of cancer, one was a 46-year-old mom of cancer, and one was an elderly lady. So we hit all boom, 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 like that. But there was something of an increase of believing and knowing, and and especially with Denise, that was the mother who died. And I don't want to go into the whole, that we'll be here till three o'clock if I go into the entire story. But anyways, it was a fact of, as we began to pray for Denise's healing, she came to us, she says, I met with Jesus. And she goes, I will die. She goes, but you call me back, because Jesus said, I will have the choice. And she goes, and I'm coming back because I saw a picture of preaching to thousands 
of people and them coming to the Lord. And that began to stir something in us. And she goes, and here are the three people who are to pray for me. It was Roger, Pat, and Tim. Um, My husband, Tim, Pat Sparrow, who was our, the prophet who was on staff at our church, and Roger Wheeler, who's our pastor. And we said, okay. And she said, I want you to stop praying for my healing because I need this to get, let's get it over with. Let's get this done so we can get onto the kingdom business. And I remember in July, it was in May that she was diagnosed. It was early July. Tim called me from a softball game. He goes, all right, babe. He goes, it's game on. He goes, Denise just died. I said, all right. And I went and dropped my kids off with my grandma. And I met Tim at the house, and the only ones up in the bedroom were Tim and Pastor Pat and Denise's husband and children. But there began to be an army that arose in the, bo- in the downstairs of her house. And there was, I've never to this day been in a thing, place of such unity in one accord. And you could sense the power and the presence of God. I'm going to jump to the store because I know it's feeling like, woo. Denise never came back. How many of us have given the choice once we are actually in his presence would come back? But it changed and shifted the course of our congregation and everybody who was there into a place of dynamic wonder and awe and faith supernatural faith and it sounds like it would be the opposite that there would be this grand disappointment but there wasn't and so the Sunday after her funeral I mean we all stood there till every last bit of dirt was on her her coffin and then we are I bet she translated and she's preaching in Africa I mean we I mean there was just this we just know but it was what God released the resurrection power that he released in each of our lives that begin to take place and for me what happened is I have always had a prophetic anointing on my life but my eyes were open and I realized the depth of my anointing is that I'm a seer and at that time back in 2002 you didn't hear about the seer I was like what is happening I am a crazy cat you know but I can remember it was that Sunday we were sitting there and I watched two eyeballs come out of my belly and they came onto my head And when they came on, more real than any of you sitting in this room, I could see the angelic hosts of heaven and all the angelic activity that was taking place. Everything like this became the false reality. And they came off, and I saw normal, and then they went on and they stayed there for three years solid. During that season, there was a lot of amazing things. It was a very challenging thing to get used to. When I drove home that day, I felt like I was hitting people. I was, I didn't know. I said, Jesus, you've got to help me if this is something you're calling me to, and you need to help me understand why and who can help this young kid navigate what you're doing. And he just began to show me after a period of a few months then all of a sudden, not only could I see, but I could hear it now. I could hear the sounds of heaven. I could hear this. And I would watch. I would love coming to church. And I would love being at prayer. Anytime anything was happening where people of God were gathered together, I had to be there. Because of what I, was, what I watched happens. The heavens are glorious and spectacular on their own. But to watch what happens when we interact with heaven is the most spectacular, awesome, life-changing moment that you can ever encounter. See, what we do here matters. 
what we do here, how we come, our attitude, our expectation, our anticipation, what we are believing God for, the miracles we're stepping into, they are being released in heaven because of the activity of faith by which we are operating here. But oftentimes, we think we're just singing in a song service. Or we think we're just listening to a good word. And then we leave. Well, where do you want to go to lunch? And we forget the moment we just had. What are we going to do this afternoon? I'm tired, you know. What did you think about what he said? We critique. We do these things, and we don't even realize that what we did just launched a full-scale, miraculous moment in the heavens. And that our worship and praise met the throne of God. That as we prayed, every prayer was collected by the Savior and being whispered into the ear of his Father. And yet we come and we are distracted and we can even be found scrolling and we can be doing all these things and we're like not even recognizing that we have the opportunity to collide with heaven when we come together in a place of unity and one accordness, when we sing the songs of angels, you realize, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, as we sing those, it sends angels into a frenzy because you realize they cannot worship without us. We ignite the worship of heaven. Yes, there's a living creatures that are around the throne at all times saying worthy is the lamb, blessing and honor and glory and power. Those are the, the four living creatures and you've got the 24 elders and you have all that that's happening in the throne room but the angelic beings that are on the earth and that are, that are in the heavens and that are going back and forth between the two when we begin to sing the song that they are familiar with they, whoo, they begin to change. They begin to worship in a way that they can't even be contained. We ignite the worship of heaven with what we do on earth. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There is a connection, my friends, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus hears our praise. He hears when you worship him. We are healed. Whether we realize it or recognize it or not, when we are praying for healing, when we are praying for, for life change, when we are praying in surrender, there is heavenly work taking place literally on us. The amount of ministering angels that are moving and working at every moment are, um, is amazing. To watch when you begin to pray for someone of an abuse situation and you watch them begin to go and lay new skin grafts of the Holy Spirit upon areas of their body when they've been broken. 
When you see hearts completely pulled out of individuals' beings and as these ministering angels regraft it by the, by the handiwork of God and replace it back in their hearts, in their bodies. And yet we feel like, I was touched by God, but we have no idea we've been transformed by God. See, there's a whole lot more real that is taking place in the spiritual dimension than there is in this. See, heaven isn't this galaxy, my friends, that is far, far away. You want to know how close heaven is? I used to stand on the chair, and our chairs were very similar to that. They were just green with pink polka dots. And I used to stand on those chairs, and I'd rub my hand in that layer of glory that separates earth and heaven. And you could see right into it. All heaven declares the glory of God. And as we declare and recognize his glory, as we realize the value of who we are as those who have been created in his image and what our worship does in the heaven, he draws near to us in a way that is incomprehensible. And we are changed. What it is is about us recognizing this vapor, this whisper of a life is nothing compared to eternity. Oh, our Savior is pleased. He is pleased with our worship. He recognizes it. One of the songs in the 2000s, as we led worship during that season, there were many, many, many I could talk about during that time, but there was one specific, and it was when my ears were open to hear the hosts of heaven, and I got to hear them for the next about two and a half years that this continued in my life. It was a song called You Are Near by Darlene Check. And I remember as we began to sing this one part, of course I'm going to sing it to you. And if you know it, sing it with me. As we began to sing the bridge which says, blessing and honor and glory and power forever and ever, you begin to just hear. And I began to look in all of the different angelic beings because there's so many different ones. They all stopped what they were doing because when there is something significant, there's two things when we come together and corporately worship. Number one, that it is not about us, that we worship everything centered around Jesus. And number two, when we sing the songs that heaven is singing, which are things that talk about the holiness of God, blessing, honor, glory, power, there's something catalytic that happens in those moments. And as we begin to sing that bridge, that blessing and honor and glory and power, it was like this thing, somebody just took it from into high death and it was like, whoo! So not only were we hearing it, and this was exciting, that everyone in that room, in that moment, there was probably 700 of us in the room at that moment, because our sanctuary could hold about seven, 800, and all of our services were packed. We had five services on Sunday mornings. And in that service, you saw everybody, the moment it happened, 
because you could hear it. That sound barrier was released, and I got to hear and watch it happen. And as the heavens came and were looking down upon what we were doing, see, they're, they're participating. They're active participants in what we're doing. But it goes like this. In all of you, we worship and stand amazed at your great love. We're changed from glory to glory. We set our hearts on you, our God. Now your presence fills this place. Be exalted in our praise as we worship I believe. You are near, blessing and honor and glory and power forever, forever, blessing and honor and glory and power forever and ever now your presence fills this place be exalted in our praise as we worship I believe you are near. Oh, Jesus, we do. We know that you are near and we worship you. If we truly understood that our worship touches the heart of God and glorifies the Son while releasing the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we would never stop worshiping. I know this, yet there are many times when my eyes are on me. And my past can feel haunting, my present can feel overwhelming, and my future can seem unreachable. But I remind myself to bow my life in worship, to proskuneo, and that I will be back in that place as I am reminded of who he is. In 2014, by this time in our life, we had been through some of the most challenging years in ministry. We pastored a church from 2007 to 2012, and we left utterly shattered from that place. I was diagnosed with PTSD from what we went through there. Um, and there are still things that want to trigger us, but we say, nope, nope. We are healed, we are free. 
and God's going to use all of this for his glory. Um, but in that season, it broke me. It broke me to the place that the only person I even felt saw me was Jesus, but I felt that's all he did was see me. I didn't know where he was. I didn't know how to get to him because the challenges were overwhelming. The storm was toppling my boat that I trusted him in, but it was breaking me. In 2014, Elevation released this song. I'm not going to sing the whole thing, but I'm just going to sing the chorus. Because it brought me back to that place that says, no matter what I feel, it's the decisions I make of where I choose to put my trust. And I can choose to jump on all of these things that people are finding to be these these markers now that we're hearing like ridiculously crazy amounts of people talking about church hurt and deconstruction and all of these things and I just want to say where is Jesus in the middle of your story because if Jesus is in the middle of it you will survive you will thrive he never promised that we wouldn't have to go through it In fact, he promised that we would. (coughs) Excuse me. He promised that we would have trouble. He promised that we would face persecution. And when we faced it, (coughs) he reminded me where to look. Yeah, I will take that. I'm going to take a little drink before. I'm like, if I try to sing this. Thank you so much, Pastor Rob. He reminded me that if I keep my eye on him, no matter what I feel, I will find him. I will make it. And I will have a story that will help heal others. And if that's what it's for, take me through anything. Take me through anything. This little course goes like this. I will look up, for there is none above you. I will bow down to tell you that I need you, Jesus, Lord of all. I will look back and see that you are faithful. I'll look ahead, believing you are able, Jesus, Lord of all. Jesus, Lord of all. And when I began to do that, I realized that we often think Jesus is Lord of all that is good. But he wanted me to remember, and he wants us to remember, he is Lord of all. He is Lord of all. And in fact, the broken pieces of us are what make the most beautiful vessels. 
You know, he showed me that he takes, if you take my piece of pottery that that potter created and crafted, and it has been dropped and it has been shattered, that as Jesus collects those broken pieces of my life, every even dusty piece of it, and he mixes it with the fresh clay and the fresh work of his spirit, he makes something bigger, he makes something better, he makes something stronger of my broken pieces combined with the new work that he's doing in me. But see, what many of us do is when we break, we try to collect the pieces. And we try to hold them, and he's saying, would you just give them to me so I can make a fresh vessel? See, I want all of you to be part of what I'm doing in you. Your broken pieces and your beautiful pieces. I need every bit of it for my glory to be contained within what it is I want to do in your life. There is so much that he has, that he does. Sometimes I have to catch my mind up to my faith. He is faithful and he is able. The songs of my life tell the story of my savior, my healer, my redeemer, my king who is returning soon. And when I live with the perspective of the spirit as the true view, I am reminded that all of this is but a vapor, a moment, and that my entire existence is to glorify God and worship him in spirit and in truth. My friends, it's getting to the truth. We have the spirit. So you understand, when we say we worship him in spirit and in truth, we do nothing with the spirit. Jesus left the Holy Spirit for us. He's here. The truth is our job to collide and to bring it together. So as you begin to step into the place of what God has called you to be, of who God has made you to be, as he activates within you and you bring the sacrifice of praise by putting on that garment of praise. See, we often forget that under the armor, there needs to be a garment, or we're gonna be rubbed a little bit raw, and that stuff's gonna hurt after a bit. And we might wanna cast it off. We might wanna say, that breastplate of righteousness, that hurts. Well, put on the garment of praise, then throw it back on. Because what's it do? Lift the spirit of heaviness, right? We're not just talking the heaviness of burden, but we can talk about the heaviness of the anointing. Put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, the weight of the glory of God. See, everything that's considered heavy isn't burdensome. There is a weight to the presence of the Most High God and he has given us every tool and every garment that is needed to prepare us to hold the weight of who he is. I believe it was in April of our favorite year, 2020. Like many churches, we were filming our little services and And doing all that, I'm going to wrap up with this. And our worship leader and my husband and I, we would come and we'd film every, every, um, I think Thursday night, the worship set. And we'd just worship and we'd record the whole thing. It was really cool. You know, we'd cut down to what needed to be for the service. But 
we just would go into a, a lot of the spontaneous moments like you guys let us into this morning. And it's on occasion, it was interesting because there's so much more to the story of, of my, my seer gift. But for many years, I shut it down. I said, I don't want that. I don't want it. I don't want to be the angel girl. I don't want to be this. I've got my eyes on me. And I said, I don't want it. And the Lord says, well, I don't take back any gift that I give. You just get to choose to access it now whenever you want to. I said, okay. So for many years, for at least, for many years, like 10-ish, 15 years. What year is it? Yeah, like 10, 15 years. I very seldom would ever do it. And if I did, I wouldn't. I would look, and, and if I did, I wouldn't tell anybody. But there was this one night we were worshiping, and as I began to look, I began to see this wave, this massive wave pull out. So the tide was, but it went out rapidly, and I watched it form the largest, most dynamic wave I have ever seen, but it never crashed. And I said, oh man, there's a glory wave. And I knew it was the wave of his glory that was about to, to come. And it still never, I'm like, you know, all of what, two years ago? I mean, like in God's time, that's like nothing, you know? But I'm like, oh wow, what's going on there? And it was about, I think it was, it was either, it was May, either April or May of this year. So two years to the, to the nose. Um, now, I'm, it's funny how he works. He talks to you through different things. But he looked at me, he said, he goes, spring is coming. I said, okay. And he goes, I want you to look up frozen waves. It's like, frozen waves? I'm like, okay. So I began to look up and, I, and there's a real such thing. And I found this one and when I looked, that's exactly what had happened to this wave. It had froze. It became icy and cold. And he said, that wave was formed in this country 200 years ago. He goes, so what you saw took place at the Reformation. And he goes, and it pulled out and it froze as a spirit of religion came across this nation. And he goes, but spring is coming and the wave is thawing. So my friends, the wave of the glory of God is thawing and his spirit is about to descend upon us and so when I tell you the return of Jesus is imminent, we are first gonna be drowned in the glory of his presence and there's a rightness and a readiness that we as the people of God must enter into. Would you pray with me this morning? Father God, we come to you as a people who are so humbled and honored to have been touched by your presence and by your glory. Lord, first we come in a spirit of repentance before you and say, God, would you forgive us for moments we have missed? For keeping our eyes upon ourselves and our circumstances, for doubting you in the midst of our everyday Forgive us for our lack of hope and faith that you are the God who keeps his promises. 
I thank you, Jesus, that as we step into your place, the place of your mercies, the freshness of them that you give to us on a day-to-day basis, that we will continue to use the mercy of God to transport us into the righteousness of God, that as the righteousness of God begins to fill who we are, that Holy Spirit, your glory then would flood us so that everywhere we go, people are just getting wet with the glory of God. Would you begin to use these vessels, these broken vessels, grab our shards and our pieces and mix them with the clay, the fresh work that you are doing, and make us a vessel, make us a people that can hold the glory of your presence, that can be poured out and overflowing to be refilled again by you, oh God, for people that need you so desperately. Jesus, I thank you for your touch on this house. What an evident work of your spirit. Now, Holy Spirit, I thank you that the words spoken in this place today, they're not empty. I thank you, Lord, they don't just transition this house into a next season, the next level, the next phase into their Judea moment, Lord God, but I thank you it transitions every home, every marriage, every family in the name of Jesus. I thank you, Lord, that you are making this a place of refuge. I thank you, Lord, this is the place of the shadow of your wing. That not only is there rest and restoration, but Lord, there is release. So Holy Spirit, I ask you to do that work in this place, in this moment. Jesus, Your banner is king over this place, over these people. I thank you, Lord, where there has been timidity or where there has been comparison that you are breaking that in the name of Jesus. I thank you, Lord, for a boldness and courageousness that is tempered with humility that will transcend and will make way for the work that you are doing through this body. I thank you for the bold word over Pastor Rob as he opens his mouth as the mouthpiece of the Lord. That Lord, that there will be dials that are shifted so that they can tune in. Hearts and minds will tune in through the static of life till they get the proper reception to hear what it is you were speaking. So I thank you, Lord, for that next next work for that next word that has now become the now work and the now word so Jesus I ask for your anointing and a greater portion on this place I ask that you would bring healing and wholeness that you would set right and in order even the thing that is the most slightly askewed because their hearts are set upon you. 
it would behoove me to not do this. I will never minister anywhere without saying if there's anyone who's never met Jesus. I want to make that invitation available for you. See, I've been talking about a savior to a bunch of people that I believe and I feel in my heart know him well, but I never want to assume that. So if you are in this place and and you want to know Jesus and you want to make him the Lord of your life like I did when I was that four-year-old little girl, my pink and white canopy bed, would you just look at me? Would you just raise your hand? Because I want to pray with you. I am not surprised that no one raised their hand because I could sense in the spirit this was a house of people that know their God. But I'm going to tell you this, church, get ready for the many who don't know the Savior because they're going to come running to the lighthouse. Make ready your hearts. Make ready your homes. Prepare the way. Prepare the way. So God, I pray blessing over this house in the name of Jesus. I thank you, Lord, that they are the head and not the tail. They are above and not beneath. They are blessed and not cursed. And whatever they set their hands to prospers in the name of Jesus. I thank you. You are enlarging their territory, O God. I thank you, Jesus, that you are making ready their hearts and their homes as they are preparers of the return of Christ. I thank you for the lighthouse that is up on this summit. It's almost like I see that picture on that movie house. Um, I forget what it's called, but it's actually a lighthouse on the peak of a summit. And that's what I see in the name of Jesus that is happening here. That there's a lighthouse that signals to all not to stay away, but to run quickly. Come here. Let us bring you to Jesus. Let us help you find wholeness and hope. Jesus is coming. Oh, God. We honor you, Jesus. Mm. Oh, Jesus. All I want is all you are, oh God. Mm, Jesus. I'm not enough. Unless you come, would you meet me here again? If that is where you're at, these altars, come to the altar. Come to see Jesus. It's all you are. Would you meet me here again? Cause all I want is 
some of us in here with dry bones when we think of Ezekiel's vision and the dry bones that become an army there is something of that in each of us there are brittleness to my bones and if my bones are dry and my bones are breaking and it causes me to be aware of of the brokenness that I am capable of and God's saying, but do you realize that if you step into that place of brittleness and of brokenness, that is where I meet you and I awaken the marrow within your bones. The very life, the blood that begins to flow and strengthen the bones of your spirit. Because we are not a resurrected army. We are the army of God. Oh, my friends. King is here and he's available and he's changing oh Jesus we surrender ourselves to you I surrender myself again in that place oh Holy Spirit Holy Spirit you breathe upon us resurrection life oh God hallelujah 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 Lord thank you Jesus come Holy Spirit dry bones awaken Lord is in this place the Lord is in this place Not for a minute Was I forsaken The Lord is in this place The Lord is in this place Come Holy Spirit Dry bones awaken The Lord is in this place Lord is in this place I'm not enough unless you come will you meet me here again 
all I want is all you are. Will you meet me here again? I'm not enough unless you come. Will you meet me here again, Jesus? Right. All I want is all you are. Will you meet me here again? Thank you, Jesus. Stay in an attitude of worship and reverence right now. just going to announce a few things really quick, but stay where you're at. This Tuesday, we're packing backpacks at 7 p.m. There is a sign-up sheet out there. Sharon will contact you with where that is happening, um, but on Tuesday at 7. And tomorrow night at Tuscora Park, there is worship in the park. Multiple local churches are coming together to put on a worship night. It's going to be a great night of unity and lifting Jesus higher together. The offering bucket is in the back as you leave. Stay here as long as you need. On the floor, the altar is always open. Thank you, Lord, for your presence in this place. For the sweetness of your spirit. Your name is above every other name. We love you, we adore you. Let us never lose sight of the wonder of who you are. Would you protect us this week? Would you continue to speak and move and reign in our hearts? And would we leave here knowing more about you? In Jesus' name, amen. Have a blessed week, everyone. If you enjoyed today's message, I would like to encourage you to like it and share it on all social media platforms or jump on the website, thesummitdover.com or the app and click the giving link and help us continue to share the message of the kingdom across the world. God bless you and have an awesome week.